Porn Free Radio, episode 130. A common question I get from new listeners of the show is, Matt, what is self-care? They hear me mention it in episode after episode. I say, you need self-care. What kind of self-care do you have in your plan? I sometimes even say that porn is unhealthy self-care. But what exactly is it and why do we need it? In this episode, we're continuing our Back to Basics series and we're talking all about self-care. Let's start the show. Welcome to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast where motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn, get hope, and take action. Even if you feel lost right now or out of control, you can recover and live a meaningful life, free from shame and full of love. Now here's your host, coach, and podcaster, Matt Dobschutz. All right, welcome back to Porn Free Radio. Today's show is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. If you found hope in the message of Porn Free Radio, take action by going to pornfreeradio.com slash contribute. That's pornfreeradio.com slash contribute. Set up your monthly pledge or a one-time gift. Your contribution helps us keep the show going. And they're a great reminder of your commitment to be porn free. So if you haven't already, go to pornfreeradio.com slash contribute and set up your pledge today. Well, hey, I'm real excited about today's show. I have my Dunkin' Donuts coffee, and I know what you're thinking. Matt, isn't that every show of Porn Free Radio, you're excited and you have Dunkin' Donuts coffee? Well, today I'm excited because, first off, the Cubs won last night. It's October 2017. The Cubs are in the playoffs, and so I'm excited again. I'm getting, getting, getting my expectations up a little bit, and so I'm running on the high of that. Um, but I'm really excited about this content today that we're talking about, this idea of talking about self-care, and I've been thinking about it for a couple days, and it's bubbling out now, and I can't wait to share with you some of these ideas. Uh, that's usually when I like to turn on the the recorder is when I'm starting to feel like I really have something to say. And in today's episode, I'm going to share some stuff that I don't hear talked a lot about uh, in terms of recovery. And uh, some of the some of the ideas I think are, you're going to find really interesting. And even if you're a regular listener or a longtime listener, I think this is going to help you understand more of exactly what self-care is and what kind of self-care you need to deal with certain needs in your life. So uh, before I get started, and this is, I just, I thought, I thought I would tell you where I'm recording from. I'm actually recording from the corner of my living room. I'm not in the Porn Free Radio studio or my office. I'm actually sitting in the living room and I'm in my favorite chair in the entire house. It's it's become my chair. And the story of how we got this chair was interesting. Uh, my wife and I uh, last uh, year were uh, driving back from my brother-in-law's house. And uh, she said, hey, can we stop at this discount furniture outlet? I'm looking for a chair that matches our living room. And I actually said, you know, that's a real value discount, you know, furniture store. I don't think anything in there is going to be worth worth it. I don't think there's going to be anything of good quality in there. Um, but we were kind of on a budget, and we were trying to trying to you know try, try not to overspend, and we hadn't really budgeted for a new piece of furniture. And so I said, "Hey, well, there's a Salvation Army that's you know near there. Why don't we stop by there and see if there's just something there that maybe we could use temporarily." So we walk into the Salvation Army, and there's this there's this armchair that's really comfortable, and it looks brand new, and it matches our color scheme. And I look at the price, and it's $50. <laughs> and so I said, what do you think? And she goes, oh, I like it. And so we, we actually take this chair to check out, or they would bring the tag up, and lo and behold, it's it's Saturday, and this is half price furniture day. So they actually sell us this chair for $25. And as I'm loading the chair into our minivan, 
I look at the tag and I Google it. This chair, no joke, sells for about $1,000 new. And it was in pretty much new condition. It looked like it had never been used. So I have no idea who donated this to the Salvation Army, but we ended up with a $1,000 chair that cost 25 bucks. Now, the reason I'm recording from this chair is because this chair has become my favorite chair uh, to read in, uh, to do a little prayer and meditation, to even read recovery literature. Uh, it's become a place that I like to sit down. I, you know, our living room doesn't have a TV, um, so it's a place I like to sit and think. And uh, when people come over, this is a place that I like to sit, sit in and talk to people. Um, so this chair really uh, symbolizes a place in my house where I get good self-care, where I do things that are reflective, where I do things that are relational, uh, where I do reading, where I do things that are growth-orientated. Um, and so that's why I thought I would record from this chair. Now, I hope I'm not too relaxed. I'm like literally the most relaxed I could be. Uh, I mean, I'm sitting back, actually. I'm not, I, I think I'm breaking all the rules of broadcasting here. I'm, I'm almost lounging in this chair and talking. So you might hear me breathe kind of funny. It's probably because uh, of the way I'm sitting. I'm not in a great uh, orating kind of place. But I thought you'd appreciate that I'm actually in a really relaxed uh, place uh, when I'm giving uh, this uh, podcast, when I'm talking about self-care. So let me just start with a really simple idea of what self-care is. It's identifying needs and taking the steps to meet them. So it's identifying needs that we have coming up in our life and the steps to meet them. Okay, whenever I hear needs talked about, and specifically the different types of needs we experience, I think of a phrase I've heard. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it came from... Abraham Maslow, who was a psychologist, who was born 1903, I think, or 1902, and lived to about 1970. And he did a lot of his work mid-century. Um, and he was specifically interested in motivation, what motivated humans. And he created uh, his theory of motivation. And uh, he wrote a book called Motivation and Personality also, in which he expanded on it. And what he was primarily interested in is what makes people high-performing, what makes them achieve their potential. Uh, I think of like Tim Ferriss's podcast. Tim Ferriss is a guy uh, who's written a, a number of New York Times bestsellers, but he, uh, in his podcast, um, says that he likes to deconstruct world-class performers. Like he's trying to figure out what makes people tick who are highly successful. And Maslow was kind of the Tim Ferriss, actually. He wasn't quite the Tim Ferriss of the 1940s, but he had the same kind of thinking. He was wondering what made some people achieve their potential and grow to these high levels and break through limits. I mean, he was interested in people like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was the president. Um, he was interested in Einstein. He was interested in uh, uh, the some of the uh, Impressionist painters who were very prolific, like Renoir. He was interested in, uh, who was someone else he was interested in? Um, I, uh, I can't think of the other ones. Uh, maybe Lincoln, Jefferson, uh, George Washington Carver. I mean, he, he just was interested in these people who had achieved great things. And he wanted to figure out what made them tick, just like Tim Ferriss wants to deconstruct. And so he started creating this idea of needs um, that humans were motivated by their needs. And what it took was, as someone started performing at a high level, they had to meet a number of needs uh, to get to that point. And so that's where the hierarchy comes in. And what happened is, is after he wrote this, people started commonly um, sort of drawing this out as a pyramid. Like you get the base level needs met and then you build on that, you get these needs. And so he created that. He, he didn't really express it as a pyramid, uh, but his thinking was in order to move to the next level, to, to, to kind of meet a more complex need, you had to meet the, the need underneath it. 
So let's talk about these levels real quick. Um, they're simply, one was physiological, and that was, you know, breathing, food, water, sex, sleep, uh, excretion, you know. I mean, we're talking the basic bodily functions to survive as a species. Uh, that was the first level of need that he identified. The second one is safety. That's, uh, it's a little more complex. It's our security, our sense of being. It's, uh, it can be tied to our employment, our resources, our physical home, our family structure. Um, it's, uh, it's our health, right? It's the, the basics of what do we, what makes us feel secure, then the next level of, of needs he talked about were love and belonging. That's our friendships, uh, our family. It can be the tribe that we're a part of, who we identify with, who we connect with. Uh, it also ties in with sexual intimacy, um, our, you know, our love life. The next level of need he talked about was esteem, self-esteem, confidence, achievement. It's the respect we feel from others. It's um, how we're seen, how we're perceived, but also um, if we're appreciated or if our work is valued, um, that's esteem. And then the top level, again, this is the level that he was most interested in. It's called self-actualization. That's when the person has resolved some of those deficient needs, like we need safety, we need food, we need, uh, we need some love, we need some esteem. But then they are focused on growth. They um, are creative. Uh, they're problem solving. Uh, they think outside the box. They create new things. Um, they help people at a higher level. Um, it's they're achieving their potential. So that's the way he expressed them. So physiological needs, safety needs love and belonging, esteem, and then finally self-actualization. And, you know, they move from more base level, simple needs to more complex, uh, maybe even more existential type needs that we have. So he, he expressed them that way. Now, he admitted that, first of all, people aren't perfect. So some of even these high performers that he was looking at weren't perfect. They could have problems in different areas still. Um, but overall, they had resolved a lot of those un, uh, those smaller and simpler needs in order to uh, achieve these great results. He also said that you don't need one to get to the other necessarily. So for example, you might feel a lack of security because you lose a job but you have a great family and support system around you, so you still feel love and belonging. Um, likewise, you might have a lot of safety in your life, or you might have a lot of security financially, but, but you could be going through a messy divorce where you don't feel the sense of belonging. You feel a lot of disconnection and isolation. Um, you might... Um, have esteem in your life, but you might not feel uh, loved at a, at a certain level. Uh, so he basically said there's, there's ways that sometimes we can get to other levels of, of need and we can start to resolve those, but some th sometimes crises or other things in our life can, can make a lower level need become more important. Okay, so I hope I'm not totally overwhelming you with these ideas. But let's, so, so let's break down a couple of these, um, these uh, needs in terms of recovery. I'll talk about how these affect us in recovery. So let's talk about uh, physiological. Now, you've often probably heard the phrase, hey, you know, if you're feeling tempted or if you're feeling if you're having a struggle, you know, ask yourself, are you feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Now, I personally don't really like this cliche, but it makes this point here. It's this idea that sometimes when we're feeling temptation, sometimes when we're struggling, 
there's actually a lower level physiological need that isn't being met. So in the case of hunger um, or in the case of... um, of tiredness, you know, we might actually, we might have a deprivation uh, that we need to address. I think this expresses a lot of, uh, this expresses itself a lot uh, with guys who are sleep deprived. And, you know, this addiction, struggling with pornography, a lot of times can thrive uh, late at night when we really probably need rest, when we need to go to bed. And what, what we're doing is we're actually trying to get that need of rest and recharge from actually juicing up with porn. And it actually has quite the opposite effect. What we end up doing is staying up later and later, which creates more fatigue and problems. So that's a real good, um, uh, a real good example of where porn starts to disrupt uh, the, the, the actual need we need to meet. So when I say that porn is unhealthy self-care is it doesn't meet the need that we try to meet with it, right? So if our need, if we really need to go to sleep, but we're staying up late, clicking on links and following, you know, looking at porn videos, we're actually not meeting the need. That's why it's unhealthy. Uh, what we probably really need to do is go to sleep, to rest, to, to recharge by, by actually getting actual rest. So that's one reason why I say it's unhealthy. It doesn't actually meet the need that we're trying to meet. So let's go to the next one, safety. How does porn affect safety? So when we're in recovery, one of the things we need to first take responsibility for is creating safety in our environment. So if we're putting ourselves in a position where we're in an unsafe place, that actually is harmful to us. So for example, if you're in recovery from porn addiction, going to a strip club would be probably the worst place you could go, or one of those massage parlors that, um, you know, presses the envelope in terms of appropriateness, um, or, you know, a chat room, right? Or even having devices in our house that are unprotected or unfiltered. That creates an unsafe environment. And there's a low-level part of us that needs, uh, that really longs for safety, especially if we've been vulnerable and we failed in this area, if there's some insecurity around our ability to recover. Uh, when we enter an environment that's unsafe, it creates anxiety in us. And, and unfortunately, what ends up happening is that lack of safety starts to lead to us going to porn because we want to escape. And I know this is, again, this is why it's unhealthy. What we really need is the safety and boundaries, but what we end up doing is rebelling and escaping with porn, okay? So we need to deal with those physiological things, those things that are happening in our body that we need to to sort of take care of, that that basic Um, self-care. And then we need to deal with safety, Now, love and belonging is an important one. One of the biggest reasons that people get stuck in porn is they feel isolated. And so there's a lack of connection and relationships. Now, we might have a family or a wife who loves us, but we're struggling to really receive that love and stay connected. And again, we're going to porn to try to deal with needs. And so when we feel a little isolated when even if we withdraw by our own choice, uh, but then go to porn, porn actually heightens that sense of isolation and disconnection. That's This is why we're, we're left feeling crappy after acting out. We feel because we've re- withdrawn to act out and then we feel shame and guilt, which makes it harder for us to press into connection. So things like intimacy and deep friendship um, or even sexual intimacy with our spouse or partner becomes harder when we're continuing to go to this false source uh, of, of love. You know, I've often heard that pornography addiction has been called an intimacy disorder. 
So it's like we're looking for love and belonging in our porn, and of course, it's never going to give us that. Uh, I was listening to a a 12-step podcast once, and a guy named Ken said this phrase. He said, an addict for me is someone who tries to solve their problem by reaching for something physical instead of something spiritual or emotional. So in the case of love and belonging, we substitute, you know, we, we sense a deficit in us and we go to this physical thing, this porn uh, as a way to try to meet that need instead of pressing into relationship and getting that emotional and spiritual connection uh, with other people in our life. So physiological um, uh, safety, love and belonging. And what's the next one? Esteem. How does esteem affect us in porn? Uh, or how does porn kind of deal with this? Uh, I think what happens for us, one, one thing that happens is we start to live a very divided life. And so there's this hidden part that we don't show people, this cut-off part that's lonely and is going to porn to try to meet those emotional and spiritual needs. And then there's this part that we show people, right? That's the person who has it together. That's the outward-facing person that we show people. And what happens is when we live this divided life, when people praise us, internally there's this sense that says, they don't see the real me. They don't really see this stuff that I'm doing, the stuff that I'm embarrassed about, the stuff where I'm out of control or when I'm doing compulsive uh, sexual things. They don't see that. They just see the, the performer. They see the guy that I'm putting out there. And so what that does is it actually blocks us from feeling esteem. We can't receive uh, that confidence, that respect from others. Uh, We can't take pride in our achievement because we deep down feel this sense of we're living a lie. We're living a divided life. Deep down, there's this sense of dread that if they really knew us, they wouldn't praise us, love us, give us esteem, right? They would they would be disappointed in us. So that need for esteem, again, is one of the drivers to go back to porn. Again, it's unhealthy self-care. We have a need. It's a need that would be best met in relationship and in connection with others. It's, it's, a, it's a community type need. And what do we try to do? We try to disconnect from community and get it met through porn. And I know this one is one of the biggest drivers to porn is this idea of getting affirmed. The, the way that a lot of times porn is shot, the, the, um, the object of the porn, the woman or the, the man that we're called to objectify and sexualize, they'll look at the camera. They'll, they'll look at us. They'll, they'll, inc- they'll, in some ways, they'll invite us in to the scene with them. And it's this sense of we're actually feeling seen by them and, and affirmed. And this plays right into our esteem. We want to feel good enough. We want to feel affirmed. We want to feel cared for. And it goes even beyond just the sense of love and belonging. We don't just want to be loved. We want to be worshipped. We want uh, this, uh, this praise and esteem at a high level. And, you know, as we make mistakes as we have relapses and as we try to quit and then fail at that, uh, our confidence gets really undermined. So this, so we're really coming at porn not only as a way to feel affirmed, but in a weird way, it's a way that we're trying to get confidence. We're in control when we're looking at the porn. We're, we're actually feeling empowered. Of course, when it's over, though, we're, we realize that it's a false empowerment. It's a false confidence. It doesn't last. It's temporal. And then, so those are all deficit needs, right? So physiological safety, 
love and belonging, esteem. Those are all things we need. And when we go to porn, we're actually trying to meet uh, those needs with porn. Now, the last need that Maslow talks about is this self-actualization. And this is something that doesn't come out of deprivation, but comes out of a desire to grow, to meet one's full potential. And this is where porn never lets us get to this point. We, we never get to the point of <laughs> uh, getting to our potential because porn is always getting in the way along the way. It's, it's, it's disrupting, it's hijacking these other needs. But there's a sense in us, and I see this in new clients, I see this in emails from people who listen. There's a sense for most guys that porn, one of the reasons why they're coming to a podcast and why they're motivated to quit is because deep down, they have this sense that they're called to something more that there is potential that's not being realized in their life and they want that growth. And porn is getting in the way from them pursuing that. And so while porn, I don't think porn is a need, uh, is a way that we try to meet self-actualization. I don't think, I don't think we get to self-actualization when porn is present in our life. Um, it, there is that sense of we feel that need still. We feel that pull to, hey, I want to live, uh, I want to become the man who doesn't look at porn. I want to be that more inspired masculine guy who can be at balance and not be controlled by porn. So that's how the pyramid or Maslow's hierarchy of needs affects recovery. So let's get into the, the purpose of this podcast. We're talking about self-care. So what's the type of self-care that we need at each level of recovery? So physiological. Now, I think that when I get asked the question about what is self-care, the one, <laughs> the one thing that guys are aware of uh, when they think about self-care, the, the one thing that is kind of the go-to for everybody is exercise. It's this idea that, you know, taking care of your body, okay? That's usually, is, that, that's usually everybody can usually identify that, that that's a good thing, exercise. So I think from a physiological point of view, that is one of the things that's met through exercise, it um it also obviously taking care of your what you eat and your sleep hygiene is also really important with physiological um, as we feel better in our physical body biologically as we take care of our body um, it it create it takes eliminates that need that we might try to meet with porn for example if you're going to bed on time and getting the right amount of sleep, you're less fatigued and less likely to try to use porn to overcome fatigue. Okay, simple as that. Also, if you feel good about your physical health, if you've gotten some, some, uh, some of the dopamine rush from running, yes, you can get dopamine from running, guys. You don't just have to masturbate and have an orgasm to have dopamine in your life. You can get it from running. If you have a dopamine release, if you feel good about your body, um, that's, a, that's an example of a meeting a physical need uh, with uh, a healthy uh, piece of self-care. Now, here's what happens that I've seen a lot with guys is, uh, for example, I remember one time I was talking to a guy who was a marathon runner. And this guy was super disciplined with his running. But he really had a challenge in his life in terms of connection, that love and belonging. He didn't really have a tribe. He didn't have some of that connection that he needed for recovery. So um, I asked him the question, hey, what do you have in your plan for self-care? 
And he said, oh, well, I'm running. I'm training for a marathon. I'm running three days a week. And he told me all about his mileage and this and that. I said, oh, who do you run with? And he said, oh, I I don't run with anybody. I always run alone. Um, And I realized in his mind, he looked at his plan. He had created a place for self-care. Except the only problem is the need he was, the self-care that he was doing didn't meet the need that he had. He was trying to solve his need for love and belonging, connection, tribe, relationship. He was trying to solve that with a physiological solution. Running. And this happens all the time, guys. I see this over and over and over. Guys, um, another one is spiritual guys. You know, spiritual guys will uh, have meditation. They might have, um, they might have prayer or reading scripture as part of their um, uh, recovery practice, which is great. It's great, but they might tr- be doing that in lieu of getting that love and connection and belonging that they need from other people in their community. So instead of having a phone call with another guy who's in recovery, who could support and could love on you and give you good uh, uh, feedback and care, uh, you are um, just reading scripture. Now, scripture can build you up and it can build up your esteem. And there's some other things that we can get from that. But it doesn't always provide that essential human connection that we need. So that's another example of of trying to take uh, potentially one solution that doesn't actually meet the need that you have expressed. So let's go back to some of these needs. Uh, How about safety? Where do we need safety in recovery? Um, This really comes up This really comes up, I think, when we're dealing with chaos and feeling out of control. And so the more chaotic our home environment is, the more chaotic uh, our digital environment is, uh, the more struggle that we have. So when I talk, guys, about um, you, you know creating safe habits in your, in your, um, your life, part of that is we feel a peace that comes from safety. So an example would be one of the early habits that I put into my plan was I committed to always go to bed with my wife. And the reason why is when I stayed up after she went to sleep, that was the pattern that I had had when I was acting out, when I was hiding. And so even though I'm recovering and have some other healthy structures in my life, when she would go to bed, I would start to feel some anxiety, some pull to see what was on TV or to go on my computer. I would start to feel the lack of safety. And it's kind of counterintuitive. You know, you'd think, okay, you feel a lack of safety. Why don't you just make your environment safe? Uh, The truth is, is again, porn is unhealthy self-care. So that, that feeling of of lack of safety or unprotection actually would accelerate the process to go to porn to feel escape, to escape that anxiety. Um, You know, I've heard of guys realizing that there's a device that's unprotected in their house, like their wife's laptop is on the counter and they realize there's no password for it. And all of a sudden this creates a tremendous amount of anxiety. They weren't even thinking about acting out with porn and now it's everything on their mind. That's because the safety in their environment was breached. So as we take responsibility for our needs, one of the needs that we need to really prioritize is our sense of safety. And in recovery, we do this by creating boundaries and healthy structures. It's not rule following. It's not just, um, it's not just installing covenant eyes because 
Uh, we want to tell on ourselves. It's because it creates safety. So what's um, uh, so yeah? So some examples of safety would be following boundaries about going to bed at a certain time. It could be uh, putting restrictions on devices. It could be putting software like Covenant Eyes or Accountable to You on our browsers. Um, it can be avoiding unsafe places. For example, not going to strip clubs or massage parlors. Um, I had a guy recently who told me he went to Vegas and, uh, you know, he had to basically create a trip plan for Vegas um, because there's so many different uh, threats in Vegas. It's, it's, it's not the safest place to go when you're dealing with a porn addiction. Um, so that's where safety comes in. What kind of um, uh, self-care do we need in the love and belonging category? So this is our relational aspect, right? And the types of self-care that we need a lot of times is connection. So uh, for recovery groups, it might be talking to guys between meetings. It might be going to meetings. Uh, it could be doing fast check-ins with our wives. It could be... Um, being in other places where we actually feel loved. It could be spending specific time where we spend time with family. I've heard of guys who finally start to let go of porn and porn habits and the hiding. And one of the things they they start to pursue instead of the pursuit of porn is presence with their children so that they're actually not only spending time with their kids, but they're actively being present. They're not being distracted. They're not staring at their iPhone um, or thinking about the next time they can act out. They're actually asking questions. They're listening. They're doing things that their kids want to do. I heard a story of a guy recently who noticed this pattern of, of kind of isolating and not staying connected, and he had to run some errands, and he had his kids come with him to Home Depot. And this was normally something that he would do alone. And he realized, hey, I get in this habit of doing stuff alone and get isolated. I need to, for my own self, uh, create a sense of belonging in this activity, you know, and a sense of connection. So he brought his kids to Home Depot with them. That's an example. So we're looking at, at ways that we can uh, get love and relational belonging needs met in our weeks, um, when we start to, with, you know, by pressing in uh, to those relationships. Now, I just lost my train of thought there for a second. So, um, so those are the types of things. Now, it's interesting, this idea of connection. You know, sometimes I hear guys say, I don't have a lot of time for connection. I don't want to be making phone calls, this and that, Right. And I struggle with phone calls too, so I'm not the perfect person for this either. But what if you needed, let's say you needed three phone calls a week at minimum to feel the sense of, to meet that deficit of belonging, to feel connected so that you don't go to porn as a way to feel connected. What if you needed that, but you were only willing to make one call or less a week. What do you think is going to happen? So what you need to do is back to identifying needs. You need to identify the needs and take steps to meet them. And if you need three calls a week, that's what you need. If you need a call every day, and some of you guys need a call every day, some of you guys need to be checking in every day. Not to be the porn police, not to just... Um, um, you know, as sort of rule following, you need the connection every day so that you don't drift into this sense of trying to meet your belonging need with porn. All right, same with esteem. Esteem is something that we get in relationship and connection. So a lot of esteem comes from being recognized for achievement, being recognized, being appreciated, uh, being respected. So a lot of the ways that we get esteem and recovery comes from um, 
celebrating milestones, celebrating victories. Uh, it can come from helping someone else. When we help someone else, when we're able to give them good advice, good feedback, uh, when we're actually able to be a mentor, we actually get a ton of esteem. When people can see the real us, uh, but it matches, the inside matches the outside, we have a tremendous amount of esteem. Confidence is built from success, and it's also built from moving forward. So as we share our successes, as we um, get better, as we find healing, it creates confidence. So, um, so some of the things that uh, some of the self-care items related to esteem are, um, you know, are you helping others? Are you celebrating milestones? Are you uh, asking for encouragement or appreciation when you feel that deficit? So for example, if you have an esteem issue at work where you're not feeling appreciated, can you go to your guys in recovery? Can you go to your accountability partners and say, hey, I'm noticing this deficit in my life. You know, what do you see in me? How do you see me? And a lot of times, you know, I remember, I remember leading a recovery group and it was very successful. We had tons of people going through it. People were getting their lives changed from it. And at the time, my career was really going sideways. Like I was not uh, doing great at work. Uh, I mean, I was doing fine work, but I wasn't being recognized. And having that ministry, having that part of my life where I was really growing and where I was seeing other people impacted by my growth was so meaningful because if I was just depending on my work uh, for that esteem uh, deficit, I would have felt horrible. So some of those things that we do in recovery, some of those ways that we build in uh, to our recovery community where we serve others, where we help others, can actually build esteem. Now the last one, self-actualization. Once we start to get some of these basic uh, self-care habits in place, then the question is, what are you doing in your life to provide growth? What are the things you're doing that it's not coming out of deficit, but what are you investing in? Okay, how are you investing in your growth? You know, um, that's where starting to do things that actually build growth in your life are important. Now, in the last couple of weeks, I've talked about uh, Rev Groups. And this isn't a plug for Rev Groups, but one of the things that's been, I think, really beneficial for guys in Rev Groups is it's a way to invest in self-actualization. It's a way to invest in um, actually um, building into that part of our life where we want to see growth, where we want to see our potential fully realized. And a lot of times to get our potential fully realized, we need accountability. Uh, we need to put out there what we want to do, who we're becoming, where we're moving towards, and we need to create goals that help us achieve that. Um, as I said, uh, uh, you know, Maslow, this was what he was most interested in. He was interested in what makes people successful, what makes them press through limiting beliefs, what makes them press through to greater breakthroughs in terms of creati creativity, problem solving, uh, inventing things. You know, he was asking, how does that happen? For us, it happens a lot of times when we invest uh, in a process that helps us grow. So Rev does that. There's other things that do that too. Courses, um, training programs, account, uh, things that keep, hold us accountable. Maybe we um, decide to go for a new job where we have to uh, get a certain type of training. Uh, maybe we decide to do a pivot in our career. Uh, maybe there's other things we do. We take a painting class where we start to inspire our creativity. Um, there's all sorts of things we can do to start to self-actualize, where we start to achieve more of our potential. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, I've heard of guys who are in recovery start to take guitar lessons or start to learn a new language. It's this idea that we're not just okay with the status quo. We want to build growth opportunities into our life. So let me start to wrap up. And this is one thing you don't hear a lot when you hear about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, again, he was really interested in what makes people successful, what makes people achieve their potential. And so I went to his book, Motivation and Personality, and it's like 300 pages, and, it, and I, I haven't read it all. Uh, but I, I fast-forwarded towards the end because I was really interested in why he was so interested in self-actualization and what he discovered about people who uh, he felt were like the top 1% in terms of achieving their potential and what were some of their characteristics. Now, I just want to go over some of the characteristics that he identified that were common among some of these high performers. The first one was acceptance. They had really gotten to a point of acceptance of their basic needs. Um, they were content uh, with how they, how they were. They were content with their relationships in their life. They weren't feeling a lot of neurosis. There was a sense of peace and contentment that they, that they exhibited. Um, another one was naturalness. Now, I think what he meant was they were really authentic. Um, there wasn't a bunch of, they weren't trying to put on a show. They weren't trying to get ego needs met by performing. Uh, it was kind of like a what you see is what you get. They were the same on the inside as on the outside. He said that they were uh, problem-centering. So they would identify problems and obstacles and look for solutions to get past them in their life. Uh, they wouldn't spend a lot of time uh, with introspection and feeling like they were the problem. They would just look for solutions. They were very solution-orientated. So I thought that was interesting. So there's this sense that they're, they have contentment in their lives. Uh, there's a lack of artificiality. There's an authenticness. They're problem-centered. They don't internalize problems in the sense of they don't feel like any sense of shame or guilt. They just look for solutions, and um, they're con and they actually think actually outside of themselves. A lot of times, they look for bigger problems than just things they're uh, struggling with. They look for problems that lots of people are struggling with, and they look for ways to help others. Here's another one. They developed a um, he's called it the quality of detachment. And he also called it the need for privacy, which sounds a little strange. But in, in a way, what he said is that they um, were able to develop uh, a practice of solitude. They were actually able to be solitary for periods of time without harming themselves. They began to actually like solitude. So uh, for a lot of these high performers, they would take time away from community and people to actually think to create, um, and they would cultivate some solitude. Um, they still were, um, you know, they still were connected with people in their lives. They got those needs met for love, belonging, esteem, uh, but they were able to sort of be healthy and be alone. And I know for a lot of guys who are struggling with porn, being alone is a big threat. It's because alone has either either creates uh, fear in you, like that, like it did with me. That was a big thing for me. I felt fearful when I was alone, and I would want to escape that fear. For a lot of other guys, aloneness uh, come became uh, synonymous with opportunity. It was a time to act out, and so your ability to be alone and be safe and to not injure yourself has been hijacked by porn. And so part of growth for you is reclaiming solitude in your life and the practice of solitude. Now, he talked about autonomy. Now, this wasn't autonomy from relationships. 
But what he saw in these high performers is that they were more motivated by growth than they were by deficiency. So for example, they were more interested in growing as a person, as developing themselves, than getting just ego needs met. So they moved past just the need for esteem, like puffing themselves up or getting praise from people, and they, were more, they got more satisfaction from growth. Now, I think we all need a level of esteem, but there is that point where growth, if we embrace it, can actually be more meaningful than just getting praise from people. And that's what he talked about in autonomous. It's not that they didn't need people. It's that their main motivation became growth versus just the praise of other people. And they also became dependent on their own development and growth. So they took responsibility for development and growth. They didn't just wait passively for someone to say, hey, I want to put you in a development program or I want to to help you grow, they would go after opportunity. They would look for ways to put themselves in a place where they were learning and growing. Uh, he, he, I, I know there's so many things here, but I, I just think this is such a cool way of thinking about becoming the, this type of guy who has these characteristics. Another characteristic the, uh, the guys had or the people had that were self-actualized were a continued freshness of appreciation. There was a curiosity that they had that kept them motivated, kept them engaged. Um, they had empathy for people. Um, they saw the traps that people fell in. They saw some of the things that got people stuck at those earlier uh, or lower levels of need. And they wanted, they want people to reach their full potential. So there was a sense of that. Um, in interpersonal relations, they, they, they thrived in, in um, being warm and connected. Um, sometimes they would come off as aloof when they were dealing with solitude and some of that stuff. But, but overall, um, they didn't have a lot of ego that they were trying to meet in relationships. And so there was some healthy interchange and connection with people in their life. He talked about sense of humor. They they had a sense of humor about themselves, uh, creativeness, of course, um, and there were imperfections. He said that not no one is perfect, and so there was a sense that with some people they were high performing, and there was still imperfection. There were still things that they needed growth for, um, but they had a, a positive attitude towards uh, moving towards growth. So that was, that was a big uh, unpacking of things. So what are some of the takeaways? Well, takeaway number one is, first of all, we need self-care in our life. And self-care is a way that we deal with needs. It's the way that we take action with our needs. And it's important that for self-care, we need to identify our needs and then find the appropriate self-care that meets our needs. And here's the thing that's interesting, guys. I've seen this over and over in coaching. I, one of the goals of a coach is to help someone come to the solution themselves. Because when we solve our own problems, that actually we're much more able to buy into it and really commit to it as opposed to a prescription. So a challenge that I have for you is to identify what are some of the big needs in your life right now and what category do they fall in? Is it physiological? Is it just sort of that baseline? Uh, does it have to do with your safety? Is, are there some places where there's some insecurity in your life? Does it have to do with love and belonging? Are, has porn or some of the things that you've done related to porn led to a lot of disconnection? Does there, is there some relationship repair that you need to make? Um, or what about with esteem? How are you getting esteem met? How are you dealing with those needs for appreciation? 
uh, for feeling praise, for feeling, for building confidence. And then self-actualization. What are things you're doing for growth? So, or, or, you know, so once you identify what some of those needs are, here's the, here's the thing that I'd say is start brainstorming, start thinking and even asking people, what do you do when you have this need? Ask yourself, what could you do to meet this need in a healthy way? And just wait for that answer. I think a lot of the, the answers to these questions of how do you meet the needs in a healthy way are within us. And we need to give our chan- a, a chance for our discernment and our intuition to help us. You know, if you're a, in a Christian circles, we think of this a lot of times as the Holy Spirit or, uh, you know, the guidance in our life. Uh, that creates discernment. So if you have a spiritual practice where you believe in that, um, allow yourself a chance for that guidance to come through that discernment. So identify the area of need and then ask yourself, what is the way I need to participate in self-care? And how much do I need? If I need to make calls regularly, how many calls do I need to make? Who do I need to talk to? You know, one thing I see a lot of terms in relationship is we don't have the right people in our life. You know, the only people that we're dealing in recovery with are, you know, are our wife who's very upset and traumatized by our acting out and maybe some, uh, you know, a spiritual leader like a pastor uh, or a family member, just someone who's kind of biased and not, uh, not necessarily maybe the best person to go to, uh, but it's like the only person we have. So a lot of times we have, uh, we have some relationships that are missing in our life. So ask yourself, what's the need? And then wait for the discernment. What's the type of self-care that I need? And be careful of uh, thinking that you can solve a, a, a need, like a, a love and belonging need with a physiological solution like running, right? Or solve... Uh, an esteem need with with just scripture reading or meditation. Um, we need other people. Uh, one of the criticisms I read about Maslow was from another uh, uh, psychologist. And I forget her name. Her name is Pamela. I can't remember her last name. I can't remember her last name. But she said that, um, well, one of the ways that Maslow's interpreted, again, is this pyramid that you sort of get you sort of get this need met and then this need comes up and then this need comes up and you, and you go up your pyramid to self-actualization. And what she said was all human needs tie to our sense of connection. And if you think about it, uh, our safety, our security, our physiological needs, our esteem, our love, belonging, those all ultimately tie to connection. Uh, we are social creatures. We were, uh, we you know, live in community and relationship, and so all of those needs, and then even self actualization, growth, uh, really uh, pressing into growth. A lot of times needs support. It needs the help of connection uh, to move to those next levels, um, and connection is really at the center. So, so I saw someone redraw the needs where connection was in the middle and all these needs kind of spidered off. Um, so however you look at it, connection is super important, important to getting needs met. That's, um, uh, and I think Maslow would agree with that, that relationally, um, that's where these things are really met, uh, that no man is an island. So I hope that helps. That's a, that was a big episode, and I hope that that helps unpack the connection between self-care and needs. Self-care is simply the action we take uh, after we identify a need. Well, guys, this week, take hope and take action. Be good.
Thanks for listening to Porn Free Radio at pornfreeradio.com. To work with Matt one-on-one, go to pornfreeradio.com forward slash coaching and help us get the word out by subscribing to Porn Free Radio in iTunes and leaving a rating and review.